somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. And look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here at Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so uh, if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can borrow one of ours. Just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you believe that. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So turn in your Bible with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. We've been in this series for a few weeks now. And so turn, if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find it uh, much faster. Um, and we're going to be in John Two. And last week on Mother's Day, we were in uh, every mother's uh, favorite passage as Jesus turned water into wine. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I hope you had a fantastic Mother's Day. I hope that you did. I hope you got some coffee on Crossroads this week. How many moms got coffee on Crossroads? One lady uh, told me that uh, she went to all three of the coffee shops. <laughs> like that. I did not see that one coming. And uh, so, uh, so uh, shrewd, uh, wise as serpents. Uh, and so now uh, last week was uh, every mom's favorite passage. And now this week, every angry preacher's favorite passage, Jesus cleanses the temple. Look at chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. Could you imagine if you just saw me making a whip? You'd be like, we're going to need another church, right? Like, and I'd be like, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Uh, anyways, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. One translation says, do not make my father's house a den of thieves. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. You don't want to underline that, put an asterisk beside it. That's going to help us at the end of the sermon today. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us to, uh, for doing these things? Meaning, where's your badge? Where's your credentials? Who gives you authority to come into the temple and do this, what sign do you give us? Jesus answered to them and said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had Spoken. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we ask for your help today as we look at a passage that at first glance maybe doesn't seem to fit. But I pray that our cultural ideology would not inform the scriptures, but our scriptures would shape how we look at everything. As Romans says, be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I pray that today our hearts would be, our minds would be renewed and our hearts would be open to everything that you have for us. And we ask for your grace today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. 
How many of you remember the 90s? Wasn't that great? Wasn't that awesome? Right? Woo! Man, there was this thing. How, how many re- grew up in church in the 90s? Right? Come on. How many Bible babies and felt board kids we got? Listen, there ain't that many hands going up. I'm excited about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, but we got some Bible babies and felt board kids. Maybe you remember this trend. It was kind of a fashion trend. It was kind of a, a, a normal thing. How many of you remember the bracelets that everybody wore in the 90s? It had these letters on it. You remember that? WWJD. Uh, Man, you're like, I'm thinking we're going to bring that back. Like, let's just leave that at home, friend. And, uh, and I remember that, and I started thinking about that. Maybe there was good intentions, because what the letters, maybe for those of you who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. These letters were stood for, what would Jesus do? And it was meant for every teenager and person that when they got in a situation, they could simply look at their bracelet and then subjectively ask the question, what would Jesus do? Do. Now, here's the problem with that. Although the heart was to get people to ask the question, how to follow Jesus, but here's what we've done. We've raised generations of people who think that Jesus is a subjective truth that I can make fit to whatever preconceived idea that I have because one of the worst questions you can ask is what would someone do? You ever tried to speculate on what someone would do? Do you ever try to do that? And the boss is out of town. You're like, hey, man, we were just trying to do what you would do. And and then you say to her, baby, I was just trying to do what you would do. And you thought I would do that, right? Like, you think you think that's a good thing? How does how does that go, husbands? Oh, oh no! How how does that go? I was just trying, baby. I was just trying to do what you. Then you don't know me at all, right? Right? right, right I, I just thought. I mean, I thought I, I thought chocolate for breakfast was good and a bath in the hot tub was fantastic right like I, I'm just thinking like, like that's actually my wife anyways um, so uh, what would someone do think about how you know people intently but yet you still don't quite know what they would do how much more the king of the universe God in the flesh who lived 2,000 years ago, who, who was crucified, buried, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven, gives us his spirit, how much more would a puzzling question be to ask subjectively, what would Jesus do? See, the reality is, if you want to know about someone, you look at what they actually, what they actually do, and what they do do, anyways, um, uh, What they do do actually helps you understand who they are. James says it this way. He he, he says, if you want to ask me about my faith, I'll show you my works. we got a few Bible babies in here. If, If you ask about my faith, I'll show you my works. I'll show you what I actually do. And so if that is true with you and I, and this has been the frustrating part for many people outside of the church, because the reality is, is that Christians have said they believed one thing, but oftentimes do different things. And that, that's a story for all of us. Even the Apostle Paul would say, the thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. The thing that I hate, that's what I gravitate for, uh, towards, and that's what I do. And, and oftentimes I feel like my life is a Britney Spears song, Oops, I Did It Again, right? Like just 90s reference today, okay? Right, just trying to keep it consistent. And, and, and so what happens is, is, is oftentimes we struggle with the thing we want to do and what we actually do, but the more and more that what we do lines up with what we actually believe because the reality is, is that our beliefs will drive our behaviors. What you believe about your spouse, what you believe about your boss, what you believe about your country, what you believe about your situation will drive how you interact and behave with that. Proverbs says it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so he shall be. All of these things have to be congruent. That's why when they're not congruent, people say that's hypocritical. You're saying one thing and doing Another. Now, oftentimes, it is the, the places we find ourselves in and the pressures around it, we decide who we will actually follow. See, the reality is, is everyone worships. 
The question is, what do you worship? And by what I mean about worship is what does your life revolve around? What is your attention to? See, the, the whole idea of glory is that God's glory draws our attention and we look and we gaze because the reality is where you look tends to be where you Go. I had a science teacher when I was young. Her name was Miss Shook, and Miss Shook was already up in age when I was younger, and she always warned us, never wave at me while I'm driving, because I tend to drive in the direction of where I'm going. I mean, she was the teacher that if, if she had a cup of coffee in her hand and you asked her what time it is, it was, it was not going to go well. And I, I learned that perspective, because oftentimes where we look, where our attention is, that's where we'll actually Go. I, I've been teaching my son to skateboard. I'm a skateboard, but but just like many basketball coaches, you know, can't do what Michael Jordan. But he's not a coach anyway. So I, I'm trying to teach my my son to to skateboard. And one of the things that I've learned and, and by observation, I'm trying to teach him is look where you're going, son. If you look down, you're gonna go down. I, I learned that surfing really quick. When we drop into a wave, we're going to get my eyes up. I got to look down the line or I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go head first into the water. Where I look is where I'll actually go. See, everything is bidding for your attention. Everything is trying to convince you to stare at it, look at it. But see, that's, that's what the beauty of, when the Bible describes the glory and greatness of who God is, it's beauty that you cannot look away from. Have you ever seen something so beautiful that you could not look away from? Husband, say amen. <laughs> amen. Right? You see something so beautiful and and your attention is drawn to that. That's glory. That's why fame can be crushing because people cannot handle the weight of attention and glory. That's why they'll crumble underneath and, and pray for those people who are in those lights where the weight of fame and attention, because if everyone was looking at you all the time and people were following you around, would you handle the weight of glory and attention? But here's the reality is that we can look at the person of Jesus. We can stare intently full into his wonderful Face, We can follow him around for all of eternity, and he will never, ever let us down. And that's good news. Amen? <clears throat> Three of you believe that. That's good news. Amen? And so then what I have to do is I have to ask the question, who do I worship? Or what does my life revolve around? Because if I begin to look at my behaviors, I, be, I can begin to trace it back to what I actually believe. And if I actually worship and I bring my attention towards Jesus, then Jesus is the person that in every aspect of my life revolves around. And that's ultimately what Christians believe. Christianity is not a system of beliefs. Christianity is the announcement of news that has happened. And when you believe the news, then your behaviors will follow suit. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? This is not merely philosophy or ideology. This isn't just a list of rules and regulations. This is the announcement that something has happened. That's what the word gospel actually means. It means good news. Not good advice, not good philosophy or ideology. It's good News. How many of you received some good news before when she said, hey, we're, we're, we're going to have a baby? Amen? Right? And you didn't fully know the implications of that news. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, G. You didn't know where this was going. Right? And then when she said, we're going to do it again. <laughs> and and how, how many have young children right now? How many of you, you can raise your hand? You, got young, you have no idea where this thing's going, right? You're hoping that at 18 they move out. And then you're talking to people around. You, they're like 36 is the new norm, bro. Right? Like you're getting worried because because the the news. Sorry, um, don't look at them. That's rude. And 
And there's news, right, that the announcement, and you're not fully aware of the implications of that, but they grow and mature. Here is the good news. Here's how we define the gospel here. We say this at Crossroads. The announcement, the good news about Jesus is this, that our God has become king by way of the cross, and we must all follow suit. Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Our God has become king, meaning he's in charge. And you have to decide whether you believe that or not. You can, you can hear, believe, and receive, or you can reject and go your own way. And so, so when I have to look at our God has become king by way of the cross, and I must follow him, how better, what better way to know how to follow him than to actually look at what he did? Amen? See, he's not subjective. He is a real person. That's why we start every single week by saying, I believe that he's the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I believe he's God in the flesh. He's an actual person. Colossians would say this, he is the image of the invisible God. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And so I have to look at the roadmap and, and the footprints that he's left for me to follow him. And it's not, it's not subjective to where I look and say, what would Jesus do? And, and I can make Jesus do whatever I want Jesus to do. And we live in a culture that everyone has opinions about who Jesus is and what he would do. And they have no idea what he actually did. So let's not be people who know of Jesus and have no idea what he actually did. Because I read this passage and maybe you know of Jesus and then you read that he sat down, premeditated, and made a whip and things are about to go down, right? Right? I told you, every angry preacher's favorite passage. Here we go, friends, right? He is, he's premeditated in what he is going to do, and maybe you think that's out of character. You're like, man, I don't know about the angry Jesus. Let's go back to infant baby Jesus. You know what I mean? Angry, I don't know, let's go to golden fleece diaper, right? Like, let's make Jesus, and that's the irony of that, that pop culture movie, is that anyone can make Jesus into whatever image they want. And oftentimes, when they come face to face with what Jesus actually did, they'll say things like, I could never believe in a God who would, what? Do something different than you? You could never believe in a God who would do things different than you? you. You mean the world would be better if everyone just listened to you? How's that going for you when you listen to you? And then you're like, what was I thinking, right? Right, right. The idea is that all of us have this propensity to make gods of ourselves and worship our image rather than being made in his image and worshiping, for, worship, worshiping him for who he is and giving him the weight and attention of glory that he deserves and then revolving around him rather than making a god subjective because that is no god at all. If you can make him and create him. He is no God at all. Somebody should say amen. So then you have to wrestle with the truth of God's word. He is God, whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether, you, whether it's palatable for you. And so when you get to a place of scripture, when you look at the person of Jesus and you say, I, I don't like that version. He is not concerned about your feelings or whether he likes you because he loves you. And what he wants for you is goodness and understanding who he is in his glory will result in your good. Just much like uh, us as children, at one point in our lives, we begin to question the rules and the things that our parents and their intention, you just, you just take that from me. No, son, I want this for your good. How many of you have had to go back now that you're older and look at mom and dad and say, hey, thank you for that? I, 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 didn't, I didn't know. Man, come on. Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you, liars, right? Right, like, how many of you say, man, man I, I'm sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that. From my perspective, I didn't understand 
that. I, I didn't know what quite was going on there. But see, that's when we get to this place, we have to see him for who he is in spite of who we are. So we get to this passage and we see Jesus. And maybe at first glance you go, Jesus needs a Snickers. I don't think he is quite who I thought he was, right? Like, uh, I, I, I don't know what you're doing, but what is Jesus actually doing? And it's interesting to me that it comes right after the wedding at Cana. And then he goes to the temple and he sees what's happening around the Passover. And, and, and let me just give you a crash course in this. And you could go back and listen. Just a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tyler did a great job talking about the temple and, and kind of the, the, the rituals of animal sacrifice and, and what was the point of that. And, and maybe quickly I say that and you go, well, you're not going to talk about that, right? Because that's outdated and that's ancient. Yes, it was ancient, but it was also purposeful. So it had a purpose. And the whole pur purpose of this system of the temple and this ritual of animal sacrifice was to be a signpost, to be a painful reminder of what would happen. It was always meant to point forward. Now we look back and understand the sacrifice of Jesus and that this whole system was pointing to it. So why does Jesus get so angry? What's he, what happens here? And when I was growing up and, and people would teach this passage and what would get subtly taught is Jesus was frustrated with commerce and he was, he was frustrated with things being sold in the lobby. So every youth burrito sale had to happen outside. You know what I'm talking about? Right, because the pastor's gonna come out here and turn the burritos over, right? Like, you know, we, can't, we can't trade coins in the lobby. I don't know if you've grown up in churches like that, but... I did, but the, the point is that Jesus was not frustrated in what was going on with the money changers or commerce, but, he, but the one, one translation that says that you've made this a den of thieves and a house of robbers, but what were they actually stealing? See, here's what would happen. It says that it was around the Passover, and every single year, uh, the Jewish people and a family would, would take their best of whatever they had. Maybe it was a lamb or maybe it was a goat or, or a ram or a turtle dove or a pigeon. And they would take this and they would raise it and they would care for it. And we'd take the best, not the last. I mean, even that idea with what we bring to God. I mean, oftentimes do we think when we think about the tithe or we think about our offerings, do we give, do we give him what is the best or we give him what is Last And see, first of all, he tells us to give what is best. Why? Because that's what we care about. That's what we revolve around. That's what our attention is focused on. So what he's trying to do is grab your attention with the principle. And so each family would take a, a lamb, a ram, a turtle dove, a pigeon. They would take all of these areas. And here's what it was in proportion to your economic status. Maybe someone couldn't raise a, a lamb. Maybe they didn't have the finances. to do. Okay, well, then you can raise this. Well, you don't have that. Well, you, then you can go get this. Well, you don't have that. Well, just go to the park and get a pigeon and bring it in and care for it. And on your way there, name it and love it, and then hand it over to the priest. And the whole Passover was to celebrate when God brought them out of Egypt and then spared them from, from the angel of death that came to take the firstborn of every single household. And they, they killed a lamb, and they took its blood, and they painted it over the doorposts as a, as a sacrifice, as an atoning, a covering sacrifice that the angel of death would pass by and spare them. And now this is a ritual that had continued on for thousands of years to celebrate and commemorate, to remember, to be a painful reminder. How many of you know that pain teaches us? Amen? Don't forget that, parents. Pain teaches us. Amen. Hallelujah. Think of three of you. Amen. You know, you know, I mean, watch it with the first kid, and you see them climbing on something. You see them go, go to, to touch something. They're going to get hurt with the first kid. You're running over, and you're, you're swooping in like a hero, and you're diving and contorting. And then by the fourth, you're like, let's just see what happens. Right? right? Like, the first time, they're going to pull it on their head, and then, and then all of a sudden, you remember this, out there, like, well, they're going to learn, you know? <laughs> right? Right? Like, if I, I think that's going to go bad. That's going to follow him. We won't do it again. You know? <laughs> right? right? Because pain is a teacher. Somebody say amen to that. See, some of the most painful moments in your life have taught you to be who you are today. Some of the most difficult moments have been the very thing that defines you. 
Some of those ones. So don't remove ourselves. Pain is actually a blessing. If you've ever met someone who doesn't have pain sensors, sometimes they'll hurt themselves. They'll do things because they're not able to feel it. And they'll make decisions that actually hurt them rather than help them. Why? Because what you thought was a curse was always meant to teach you and to help you. Do you see where I'm going? That's good preaching. Somebody say amen, hallelujah, thank you. And so this system of sacrifice was a painful reminder because that person would have to, that family, they would take the best and for that year they would raise that lamb and they would care for that lamb and then they would bring it to the priest. And see, sometimes our ideas of priests in the Old Testament is synonymous with pastors. Listen, priests did not look like pastors. Priests looked like butchers. And see, they would, they would come and they would bring the sacrifice and, and they would be ready to care and butcher this animal. Now, now they, they didn't go to waste. It, was only, it wasn't just for the sacrifice. It was meant to feed that family. It was meant to share with the community and they would use it. But the principle was always meant to show you that death brings life. See, every aspect since the fall, what the universe has been teaching us is life only comes from death. And that's maybe counterintuitive to what you think. But, but every single plant, hey vegans, has to, has, to, has to die for you. Every single animal, in order for you to gain protein, has to die for you. Death brings life. Now the universe is pointing a story all the way to the cross that death brings life. And it was always meant to be a painful, personal reminder. You were always meant to be connected to it. You were always meant to feel it. You were always meant to know it. But see here what happens. We get so removed from the thing that we care little about the thing. Oftentimes, we, we so want convenience in our lives that we will rearrange our lives for convenience. We will take the path of least resistance. And it's actually the path of difficult, difficulty that was always meant to disciple me and define me and shape me because it's my suffering that shapes me. It's his suffering that saves me. And so they were removed from it. Much like what happens now when we're removed from our food. I mean, if you ask somebody, where does food come from? And they say, Albertsons, walk away, friend. Right? Because it comes from El Rancho. Right? <laughs> right? Because that's where, come on, I'll take the porterhouse. Right? Like, that's what I, I'm looking for. Right? And we're so removed. It was so interesting. I was, knew I was going to be in this, in this passage this week. And, and we had some good friends over for dinner this week. And, and they happened to be vegan, so we ordered out. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and we were talking about this. I said, hey, I'm going I'm to be in this passage this coming weekend. And, and we didn't invite you over for this, but let's just put it all on the table, so to speak. And, and we started having this conversation because here's the reality is oftentimes we can have an accurate assessment of the problem but not know what the solution is. And so in this particular moment, the reason why Jesus comes in and helps them by cleansing the temple and, and, and breaking up the 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 thievery of what's going on and what they were actually stealing. What they were stealing was the connection to the sacrifice. So here's what would happen. The money changers set up and they said, listen, we can help you with your convenience, much like many of us. We go with the path of least resistance. And so for convenience, they would say, you don't have to raise a lamb, a ram, a, 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 an animal, and bring the sacrifice. It's a long journey. You can just come here. We'll have everything set up for you. You just take care of the bed and breakfast. Come the next day and pay your coin. Pay your trade, and we will give you a ready-made sacrifice. And you can just take it from us and hand it to the priest and you no longer will have to feel and feel the cost of what it took for that sacrifice. And see, the living conditions of these animals would not be suitable, would not be humane. They would be in cages taken care of. You've never heard anything like that before, have you? Where, where they're being mistreated, but people are so removed from it that they no longer care. 
So Jesus comes into the temple. He says, you've stolen because this was always meant to connect you. You were always meant to feel this. You were always meant to be pointed. So when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And you realize that Lamb was always pointing to that man. That was always meant to connect you. And you were never meant to be removed. See, and what kind of jarring symbol would that be when John the Baptist says that? Because every single year they've looked into a lamb's eyes. They've cared for that animal. But here's the reality. Human beings are not like animals. They're above animals. Somebody should say amen to that. They're not different in the created order. See, the Bible says that man was made a little lower than the angels and above the beasts of the fields. Yet the... the, the, the the preposterous scandal is that God would take dirt man and seat him in heavenly places. So man is different, and yet we're meant to care and order creation. And all of these things are meant for us to conserve and care for. But, but what happens is, is we're removed from the point. We look for our own conveniences. We try to be gods of our own universe. We're only concerned with our own glory, our own fame, our own comforts, and we're not concerned with what God would have us be concerned with. And so we get lost along the way because we don't follow his footsteps quite right. And we have part of the solution we don't have the whole thing. We understand the problem. See, maybe you're here today and, and, and maybe you see the similarities between uh, what is happening with our food sources and how the care of animals and the treatment of animals. And, and then you meet your, uh, your vegan friend and, and while they're eating their hummus and tortilla chips, they're telling... They're, they're, they're telling you about what's wrong. They're giving you an accurate assessment of the problem. But I don't think they have an accurate so that they don't have an accurate assessment of the solution. Just like I think, uh, and I'll give you a couple examples here, and, and I've, I've, I've never said this uh, publicly, but now this is becoming mainstream. Uh, many of you uh, have been aware of, uh, of what people call the QAnon conspiracy theories. See, I, I think that the QAnon conspiracy theories could have an accurate assessment of the problem. I think that, that there are people whose sole goal is to hurt, manipulate, and steal and oppress human beings in a slave trade that many of us have gone silent to. There could be, friends, what once was conspiracy last year is now mainstream media, and there are elite people who are trading young girls, young boys, as sex slaves. But friends, they have an accurate, maybe, assessment of the problem, but an inaccurate assessment of the solution. Somebody say amen to that. See, it's not storming the capital. Amen? It's not revolution. Every single problem finds its answer in the person of Jesus. Why? Because our God has become king by way of the cross, and we must all follow suit. So when you find yourself lost in the problem, look up to the hills where our help comes from. Know that the answer is the person of Jesus. Someone should say amen to that. So the same way where oftentimes veganism may have an accurate assessment of the problem, we need to care about what happens with God's creation. We need to be good stewards and go back to the garden. But listen, vegans, don't allow your diet to become your religion. Because ranchers and hunters, Native Americans, 
care for animals as much as any person on the planet. And they know more about what it means to care for that animal and the value of that animal's life than anyone else on the planet. Why? Because they have an accurate assessment of God's creation and value that death brings life. Why? Because they see the glory of God through what God has created and provided for us. Why? Because everything finds its answer in the person of Jesus. Somebody should say amen to that. It's the same way that oftentimes we may look at Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto. and Karl Marx may have an accurate assessment of the problem. And I, I say that to someone recently, go, no, he doesn't, you know, right? But here's what the Bible says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And so you got to be careful. What are you willing to trade? What are you willing to become enslaved to so you can have, so you can hold, so you can so then have taken away from you because you got in over your head and you lived above your means? Listen, the borrower is slave to the lender. And the reality is he may have an accurate assessment of the problem that there are rich and powerful who lord over the weak and the poor. And they may have an accurate assessment of the problem, but Karl Marx was bankrupt in his ability ability to understand the solution because he thought that inherently poor people were good and rich people were evil. And if you just played Robin Hood and you took from the rich and gave to the poor, that somehow they would be good. But here's the problem. You know you, friend. And the Bible says there is no one good. No, not one. Man above all things is wicked and evil. And economics trading hands doesn't change the heart. That's why I always say that Jesus is far more concerned with the poverty of your heart than the poverty of your hand. That's why Jesus, after this passage, will go to Nicodemus and he'll say, what, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? You must be born again. The old you has to die so that something new can burst through right here. And right now, see, Jesus cleansed the temple because they were stealing the painful point of the temple, which was to remind you that Jesus would give his life in exchange for you. That he would die once and for all. Now there's no need for any more sacrifice. The point has been made. Hebrews says, listen, all that awaits for you if you continue down the sacrificial route is an earnest expectation of judgment. But the way has been made and you are invited to the way of life. His name is Jesus. Now you trust and believe in the good news of the gospel, the announcement that he is king and you must follow suit and that means the way of the cross that doesn't mean that that will always be pretty or palatable that does not mean that this will look subjectively like you want it to look this does not mean that Jesus will neatly fit in your box he will be far too liberal for conservatives and far too conservative for liberals he will, not, he will not fit in your blue box. He will not fit in your red box. He will not fit in your, your politics because Jesus is actually king and he settles all disputes. And he's the only benevolent, gracious, loving king who has the solution because in every area, whether it's the solution when it comes to the QAnons, it's not the conspiracy that will save you. It is the cross of Jesus Christ friend. It is not even conservation when it comes to animal cruelty. It is that Jesus will come back one day. We look for him to set everything right that is wrong. If you've ever looked at the world, it should point you to the living hope of here and not yet that Jesus will come again and he will cleanse the temple. I didn't quite say this in first service because I, I literally was discovering it as I was coming on stage. I started thinking about why does Jesus cleanse the temple after the wedding? He goes from the wedding to the temple. And then if you look at the book of Revelation and the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding. He goes from the wedding to defeating Satan. The symmetry, the same author in Revelation this is a party, friend, and he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. So stop worrying about the enemy and start looking at the host of the table. 
Because if the enemy can get you to leave the table, he's already won because the point was you to feast with the bread of life. Jesus tells them, I'll destroy this temple and in three days build it up again. They said it took 46 years to do it. You're crazy. Because you don't get it. He was talking about this temple. See, maybe you grew up in a church and they said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But that was never a concept into the person of Jesus. God lived in a temple. God lived in an ark. God lived outside of human beings, not inside of them. And yet here comes Jesus, a walking, talking temple of the Holy Spirit, God in the flesh. And he says this, they say, stay with us, Jesus. And he says, no, if a, if a seed will remain singular unless it dies and goes into the ground and it reproduces itself. That was the point. He says, no, I'm going to send a comforter. He's going to come and he's going to live in you and with you. What Jesus was talking about is renting uh, to, to tear the veil of the temple, the separation between God and man. He tore down the veil and he opened an invitation for you to be the walking presence of God. You go, man, I'm waiting on a move of God. You are a move of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he tore down the old system and he's rebuilding his temple in the hearts of his people. See, we get to this passage and you wonder, we're like, what's going on? This, is, this isn't atypical. Like, this isn't something that should, should surprise you. Like, this is... This is Jesus doing exactly what Jesus would do. And the disciples remember when he's raised from the dead, they remember that he said this. And they believed that Jesus was who he said he would be. See, all of this is written that you may believe. Because when you truly believe it, your beliefs will then drive your behaviors. But there's this one this one passage here that I started thinking, because here's the reality. If I'm going to figure out how I'm supposed to interact and follow Jesus, and Jesus is not subjective, I got to know what he actually did. And can you bring him down just a tad? Yeah. Thank you. I got to look at what Jesus actually did, because now what we've done is we've made Jesus into whoever we want him to be. And we're not looking at who he is and how he gives the answers for all of these problems. So if I'm going to follow Jesus in his footsteps, here's the passage I told you to underline and put an asterisk beside. And I want to pull this out of the text and I want to tell you a story as I close. It says, zeal for your house will consume me. They remembered that his passion would be for his house. So that if I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then zeal for his house must consume us. But what is his house? Is it the church building? Is it these walls? Or is it the people of God that he is building his house, the temple of the Lord? Then that means what must consume us is love for people. Amen? I went to, uh, I went to the hospital this week. And I tried to visit someone who called me a, a young man had emailed me the week before and said, hey, my dad's not doing well, and I'm Jesse. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the, the front row crew in second service. You guys took their place today. And uh, usually how they got here was the teenage boy had heard me speak at a high school, and, and then he started coming, and then his siblings started coming, and then mom and dad said, man, we want to worship with them. We're, we're coming. And, and then they usually would hang out in the back and drink their coffee, and then after worship is over second service, they line the front row and I always call them my front row crew. And he said that in the email. He said, I'm, I'm Jesse. I'm one of the front row crew. And he said, my dad is uh, not doing well with his battle with leukemia. And he's in the hospital, and we ask you to pray for him. And then I got in contact with the mom, his wife, Bob and Sarah, maybe many of you know Bob and Sarah. 
And Bob has been in the hospital for over a week or so. And she started saying, hey, we're, we're believing. Will you pray? And she had heard the message last week where I talked about the rumors of God that we must tell, how God heals cancer. Amen. Hey, we believe that God is, has power over creation and can do anything. Amen. And we talked about how God, the stories of people who had battled infertility into their 30s and now years later have five boys and grandchildren. And, and God, God does amazing things that people will surprise everyone. And she believes that. And so she, she even asks if, if, as you may have heard some of the stories with, with LP, as God is healing LP of cancer and his levels have went down and some miraculous. She even said, hey, could LP come with you once we get out of the hospital? But this, this was prolonging. They're in the hospital, so they asked me to come pray for him. Thursday, I go to pray, and I, I, I called him. I said, hey, make sure you check first and see if they'll allow me to come. So on Wednesday night, they, they got permission that I, I would be able to come. And, and so we went Thursday, and, and we got there. And as soon as we walked in, and we said, hey, who are you guys? Hey, we're pastors. We're here to, uh, to, to visit Bob, and, and, and we want to we pray with him. And, and they said, well, you're going to need to take a seat over here. So we went off to the side, and, and they were having a conversation. It was like any time a pastor comes in, we call the chaplain, and the chaplain came out, and the chaplain is going to come speak with us and, and kind of decide whether or not we were going to be able to go up or not. And when he came up, I, I'll, I'll be gracious in what he said, but at first glance, I thought, man, what have we gotten ourselves into? He asked a question, and he's basically asking, is he imminent? Is this the end? but he didn't have as much tact. I said, oh no, that's a question for the doctors. I, I'm just here to pray. The family asked me here to be here to pray. And he said, well, we don't usually let anyone up unless. It's like, I'm not waiting until the end, friend. We're praying that God would, uh, would, would heal him. So he says, well, I have to go check with people. And, and so the higher, okay, please do. He walks off and I just have this sense. And it was, Pastor Tyler's first hospital visit, uh, and uh, I looked over at him. I said, uh, knowing that I was going to be in this passage this weekend, I thought, how far you want to take this today, bro? <laughs> he said, well, my wife's working tonight, so I got all the evening, right? I said, all right. I, the chaplain comes back, and I, I said, hey, I hope you got good news for me. He said, yes, I do have good news for you. You're going to be able to visit him at home. I said, so you're not going to let me up? No, we have policies here. And here's the policy. And I, and I start talking to him. I start speaking like, hey, man, like, what about this? And what about that? And, and who's made, why won't you just allow, you just asked me a question. Right? If I answered that question differently, you're going to let, let me up? They got approved. No, no, no. You don't have approval. We are taking care of the spiritual health of the patients here. Okay. Okay. So I turned around to the front desk and I started preaching a sermon to everyone there. And uh, the volunteers and the lady at the front, and I go, hey, when are we going to be done with this? Is it June 15th when the mask mandates just go away? Are you going to let me go up? When are you guys going to change the policies for pastors to pray with people? And then a lady at the front desk, the volunteers are looking like, I don't, that's above our paid grade, you know? The lady at the front begins to address me, she, and she says this. She goes, well, I mean, you're a pastor, right? You should know the rules. I'm like, I should get a whip is what I should get, right? And what she's basically saying, if you're a pastor, you should be compliant. You should be nice. I was being nice. I, my congregation knows me and we're not even close, right? And she said, well, it's, it's not us. I said, who's making these parts? She said, it's the CDC. I go, the CDC has not made guidelines about pastors visiting the sick. 
Now what we're doing is we're just anything out there. We don't even have truth. We're gluttons of data and starve for truth. And anyone will just eat and drink our fill of any information and not ask tough questions. And if you're a pastor, you're apparently not supposed to ask questions because Jesus is loving. He makes everyone like them. Listen, being loving doesn't mean I run a popularity contest. It means that I follow the person of Jesus and it will be for his glory and our good. And he's who I revolve around because he's king of the world. And there are no mandates and laws above loving people well with the truth of God's word. Amen. I said, there's no CDC guidelines. I said, if I was in another state, I could visit the sick. This is your policy, and I would like to know who's making those policies and why they are infringing on the rights of these people. See, Paul in Ephesus was, was beaten publicly and imprisoned, and then there was a miracle happen that scared them to death. You can go look in, in Acts, this riot in Ephesus. And now they just want Paul to leave quietly. And he goes, no, no, no. You beat me publicly and imprisoned me, and I'm a Roman citizen. Now, he used it at the end, but he used it. He said, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't, you're going to have to march me out in front of everybody. That changed the whole thing. So here's what, I'm standing there. The chaplain comes back. At that point, they, they know what they're doing is wrong. It's like this spiritual warfare that's happening at the front desk and then as I'm talking to the lady the, the chaplain comes back and the security guard comes back I know the security guards at the other hospitals but uh, uh, she goes well maybe you can ask him and he'll better help you understand and as if I was going to be intimidated and I was like you look like a reasonable person I'll talk to you right so what's the Santa Barbara health it's this, it's that. I go, hey guys, I understand that. Chaplain comes back, I go, but here's the reality, guys. Uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights says there shall be no law, no mandates that prevent them from practicing what they believe. Here's what they believe. It's James. They believe that if there's any sick among you, call the elders of the church, lay hands on them, pray the prayer of faith that they might recover. And the chaplain said to me, yeah, the Catholic priests use that one too. I said, I'm not using this. I believe this. And so do they. And I look, I go, what do I got to do, guys? Like, I, do, I have to, do I have to get a news crew? Do I have to get, like, I don't want to do that. I'm just, do I got to get a lawyer? Do, what do I got to do for you guys not to make, who makes this decision? I said, like, hey, I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend you. I said to the young gal, I'm not trying to offend you. She said, it's fine. I said, is it fine that I'm apologizing that I offended you? She's like, well, I just think if you talk to so-and-so, you would better understand. I go, this is not my lack of ability to understand. This is that I disagree. And what a culture that we have said that any disagreement is your inability to understand. No, I have the mind of Christ. I'm only sober-minded, not drunk on, on power and authority. Listen, we should pray for every single person in authority, every politician, every person in position, because they are tempted above all to be drunk on Lord, being lords of the universe in their own right. And we would all have that temptation if we held the position. So we have to submit to King Jesus, the only King. I said, hey, what do I got? The, the chaplain looked at me, what, what are you here for? What's your cause? What cause are you trying? I'm here to pray. Well, I have a cause. I'm here to care for the person that asked me to come pray for them. Now you're already labeling me. You think I'm using this as a cause? They asked me to be here. He said, what well, doesn't matter? You're not getting in today. So I walk out. Come on, Jesus, what do I? What do I do? I go stand out by the statue of the pastor they have out in front. So if that guy had a wolf, I should have got a wolf. Uh, the irony, the irony of saying this is a house. So I call Sarah, what a great name. Sarah, Sarah Gabriel, the wife. I said, they're not going to let me in. I said, I'm trying. She goes, I go, I've kind of made a scene. So she's like, we're making a scene up here too. 
She's like, I got permission. I know I'm going to talk to him. It, it went through. I go, okay. I hang up the phone. And I was like, Tyler, let's go back inside. He's like, we're going back inside. I was like, we're going back inside. <laughs> we open up, they, we come inside and we go to sit in the same chairs we were just in. And they, they, they stop at the security guards. You can't wait there. We're just, they told us we have permit, permission to be here. We're just going to wait until they let you know. And, and we're going to wait right there. No, you can't wait right there. We were just waiting right there. See, now it's authority. Tell me it's science. There's no science behind it. It's authority. It's power. It's the garden. We want to be gods of our own universe and everyone else. So, okay, we'll wait outside. Wait outside. I, I talk to Sarah again. I go, hey, there. So she goes, well, I asked the doctor, hey, what's going on? And, he, and the doctor said, yeah, it's, these COVID rules are kind of crazy. The doctor? Wait, who's running this show? Right? The doctor says, yeah, these rules. And then the, the brilliance and wisdom of Solomon in Sarah Gabriel, being wise as serpents, harmless as a dove, she goes, she asked the doctor, she says, but what prevents us from getting a wheelchair and wheeling him down there? <laughs> reminded of the story where people tore off the roof just to get them to Jesus. As friends, you may be like, Pastor, maybe you're, sitting there, maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're like, well, he shouldn't cause that kind of problem. I don't know. Have you read these stories in this book or have you made up whatever you think he would do? Or did you look at what actually happened and what he did? Because I can know. I'm looking at going, God, what do I do? I'm helpless here. I'll wait on you. I want to get a news crew. I don't even have social media to make this go viral. I'm like, I don't even know what. I'm just standing. God, you're, if you want this to happen, I'm here because they asked. As a young pastor, I would try to figure out when I should go pray for people. And that was kind of a, 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 kind of a tough thing being early on in, in my pastoral ministry, being a young man and, and just showing up at people's hospital rooms. I, 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 didn't quite, I didn't quite feel comfortable, and I didn't want to make them uncomfortable. And I started asking the question, when did Jesus go pray for people? It was when they asked. See, the old school way is the pastor just hear the rumor, and that's what everyone thought. I just, somehow, God just texts me or something, and I know you're in the hospital, and then I just magically show up. Sometimes that's more about the pastor getting accolades for being there rather than actually caring for the person who's sick. Because anytime they asked, Jesus went. And I think that asking is part of the step of faith. So here I'll just say, man, if, if anyone ever asks, we'll be there. We'll pray. When someone said to me months ago, the reason why people are dying alone of COVID is because the church's response to science. And I said, no, fear and authority is why people are dying alone. I said, because historically, the church has always went. It didn't matter of sickness or disease. Mother Teresa's legacy is that during the AIDS pandemic and, and, and the issue with AIDS, she would hold babies as they would take their last breaths. People in the church were never afraid of sickness. Why? Because they believed to live is Christ, but to die is gain. They did not count their lives worthy more than death, but they would go further than anyone else. What have we lost? Do we believe it? And does it drive it? So I wasn't trying to make a cause out of this family. I didn't show up to make a point at their expense, but I said, they want me here and I'm not leaving until I pray with them. So we come out, the sons come up, and the chaplain goes, hey, there's more of them here. I go, this is our boys. And then now the house supervisor comes out, meets us. She goes, hey, we step inside? Yeah. And then midway through, she's like, you don't have a mask on. I go, you asked me to come inside. I just had it on. So we're standing in the breezeway, and now we just want to explain to you what... The rules, I go, hey, we're, we're, we'll follow the rules. Like, I'm just here to pray. The son is going, hey, well, somebody's got to come down because it's how many people. And then they tell me the whole time that they're about people. And what I find out is they're just about policy. See, that's what Jesus meant when he says, your traditions of men have made the word of God of no effect. The rules you follow and no relationship you have. So I talk, hey, no, 
here's the thing. I just want to ask, who makes this policy? You guys are deciding to infringe on their rights. She goes, no, no, no. We're not infringing on anyone's rights. We're going to let you up. I go, wait a second. You're going to let me up now? I said, what if I just walked away? I said, and then what about all the other pastors and people? Do they got to, do they got to make a scene? Because now, like, the lady up front said to me, if I was a pastor, then I should know the rules and just comply with the rules. She said, she said, I go, absolutely. I said, but now I'm talking to the house supervisor, and you're just going to let me up now? She said, well, they should have came and talked to me, and I covered the chaplain's butt. I go, you, you, well, they were trying to do that, right? But I go, I think, I think they're going to bring him down here. She goes, oh, no, 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 we're not going to let that happen. As she says that, the doors open to the side, and here comes a wheelchair. And immediately, I stop talking to them, and I go, for the reason I was there. We go out, and I said, Bob, let me tell you a little story. And we laid hands on him. And we're believing. And their sons, their five children, believe. So when they, when they read this stuff, this isn't philosophy. This is an ideology. This is our God has become king. And who do you follow? And what will it cost you? Because you may have an accurate assessment of the problem, but the solution is found in the person of Jesus. And when you give him attention, when you give him affection, and you start trying to take matters into your own hands, he will write a better story than you write. And all of a sudden, now what would have been done in secret in the hospital, in a little room, now everyone's watching. We're praying. And now we're writing a story in the moment. It's not about Pastor Sam. It's not about, it's about Jesus and who he is. We finished praying. And you know what the biggest temptation for me was? It's to walk back inside. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> I have a little talk with you guys. Right? Did you see that? <laughs> Can't make that up, you know? Right, let me, let me, tell, let me tell you, why do we have to do this? Right, that's the temptation. Because what they said to me, they were confused. So that's where we have to make sure when we're people trying to solve problems that we focus on the main thing because the point of why I was there was not to make a cause, but was to follow suit of the cross. And I just walked away. And here's what I know about them. The whole time they were telling me they're about their patient and not about policy, they just walked away. Their patient was now outside and no one greeted him. The chaplain didn't come pray with him, didn't join us. See, the Bible talks about hired hands and shepherds. And when wolves come, shepherds will, uh, hired hands will leave, but shepherds will stay. Here's my question for you. Is Jesus subjective to you? Do you make him do whatever you want? Or is he God in the flesh? And has he done what he said he would do? And is he building his temple in the hearts of his people? And will zeal for his house consume you? And people will be the point above all else. No greater love does any man have than they would lay their lives down for their friends. But will you lay down your reputation? Will you lay down popularity? None of us in this room have been asked to lay down our lives. But what will we lay down? Because if we won't start there... If we won't start with our money, we won't start with our time, we won't start with our talent, our reputation, we would never lay down our lives. But we're meant to follow Jesus at all costs. And if we do, we'll realize he writes a better story than we do. And the story God is writing is bigger than the page we're living on. I'm praying for strength to endure the page for his glory and our good. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I 
I thank you that we would find conversations in our lives where we're able to speak up in spite of what we think people might think about us. We'll say, yes, but Jesus. We'll stop looking for solutions in the next fad, the next thing. We will look and know that every problem finds its solution in the person of Jesus. And that's good news because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we think you're doing one thing, you're doing trillions. You are working things together and you are writing a good story. I pray for every hospital administrator, for every doctor. Thank you for every politician, for every person in a seat of authority. I pray that they would be sober-minded They would not be drunk on their own power, but they would be full of the Spirit of God, that they would submit to you above all things. And as they submit to you and they revolve their life around you, they will worship you, their attention will be for you, and it will result in your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?